Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. So my gift has two purposes. It's to edify you guys and glorify God. Your gifts have two purposes. To glorify God and edify others. So if I take my gift and I never get around you, then you don't get to edify me with your gift and I don't get to edify you with mine. We're both missing something. We need each other. When all the body comes together and all the gifts are present, you'll find that all the things that are needed happen and transpire so we can be encouraged, challenged, spoken to, word from the Lord. All these different things take place when we come together. So we don't want to be renegade Christians doing our own thing. We all know what it feels like to run out of steam. Sometimes people can be mean and cruel. And it seems the only way to live a happy life is off the grid. But Pastor Bill reminds us today why there can be no solitary Christians. Christians are called to share truth with the world. But beyond that, we're called to share our gifts. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to glorify God and to edify others. If you hold yourself up and never talk to anyone, how can you build people up? You can't glorify God without encouraging others. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 17 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. All right, so Leviticus chapter 17, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 4. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed should be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. So here's the first issue. If a man were to shed blood of one of these sacrificial animals, and if you look at the list of animals here, these aren't animals that would have been normal game animals. These were all animals that were used in sacrifice. And so if someone inside the camp or outside the camp had killed one of these animals, they were to bring it to the tabernacle. Um, Why is that important? Why is that significant? The tabernacle was the place where God had established he would meet with his people. He would do business with his people. He had established the leadership in terms of the priesthood. They knew what to do with the sacrifice. There was a, a list of reasons why, but God said, this is what God's establishing here. I've established a place and an order for worship. If you guys remember when he began the chapter on the atonement, he told them, you know, it was right after Aaron's sons had died for offering up the strange fire. They offered it up to God in a way that he had not prescribed. Well, here God is kind of continuing. He says, God, I want to be worshiped. I want sacrifices to be brought, but I want it to be done on my terms. I want it to be done my way. And so we realized what I get from this is from this group right here. God says, I don't want you doing your own thing. They weren't free to say, you know what? I don't really want to go to the tabernacle. You know what? I'm, I'm me and my family going to sacrifice our bull over here and offer it. God said, no, no, you're going to bring it to the tabernacle. And if you don't, it's going to create a problem between them and the Lord. And so you guys know what the peace offering and many of the offerings, the priests would offer it up, but they would also receive a portion And that was how the priests were to live. They lived off of a portion of the sacrifices. So God said, you guys can't just go do your own thing. I have things in order. Again, in reading this and just considering it, how would that relate to believers of our time, of our period? 
Um, I believe in, in much the same way. There are people today that have decided, you know what? I, I love God, but I just can't stand church. I just can't stand organized religion. Can I just tell you that God's work has always been organized? If you read Leviticus and the, the ministry and the priesthood, it was very organized. God had said where they were to come, how the priests were to dress, the days they were to come, what they were to offer, what they could, what they couldn't do. And you come to the New Testament and it's very much the same thing. God says, look, I, I've established leadership. I've given gifts to men. I've, I've called some to be pastors and leaders and so forth and so on. And so New Testament, this is how this would apply for you and I. Am I free as a Christian to decide? And I don't, I don't really want, you know, I don't really want to be in fellowship. I don't really like you guys. I do love you guys. But can I, if I just decided one day, you know what, they were really mean to me, you know what I'm saying? I, I really don't like them people. I'm going to just go in my backyard in creation. I'm going to sit under the tree with my Bible and I have communion by myself. Just me and God, that's all I need. Do I have the liberty to do that as a Christian? You could do that too, but you can't do that exclusively. There'll always be something missing out when you don't come to the place where God prescribed and you're not with the people that God has called you to be around. I'd like you to write in your notes, Hebrews chapter 10, 22 to 25, and I'd like you to turn there. I want to spend a few minutes here and then we'll come back to Leviticus. So Hebrews chapter 10, 22 to 25. I want you to notice in 22, 23 and 24, you see the phrase, let us, let us, let us. And then we'll go down to verse 25, um, Hebrews 10, 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I'm considering other believers that I might stir up in them and that they might stir up in me love and good works. And then look at verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And so here God says that the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, there's a lot of heavy exhortation. Let's let's draw near with a true heart. Let's hold fast our confession to the end. Let's consider one another and disturb one another for love and good works. And then he says in verse 25, hey, don't be forsaken the assembling of yourselves together. We need to come together. It's important as believers that we have a personal relation with the Lord, that we have personal time with the Lord, that we have personal prayer life. But God says it's also important that we come together. And so a few reasons. What transpires when we come together? What has God given every believer? What is, what is something that every Christian has at least one of? Spiritual gifts, right? So if I got spiritual gifts and you got spiritual gifts, the goal of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the glory of God and what else? The edifying of the body. So my gift has two purposes. It's to edify you guys and glorify God. Your gifts have two purposes. To glorify God and edify others. So if I take my gift and I never get around you, then you don't get to edify me with your gift and I don't get to edify you with mine. We're both missing something. We need each other. When all the body comes together and all the gifts are present, you'll find that all the things that are needed happen and transpire. So we can be encouraged, challenged, spoken to, word from the Lord. All these different things take place when we come together. So we don't want to be renegade Christians doing our own thing. And so back to Leviticus, God had told them, this is how I want it done. When you kill an animal, don't, don't do your own thing. Don't go home and do it. Don't don't make a new place to offer a sacrifice. I want that thing brought to the tabernacle. That's the place that I've established to meet with people and to do business in that way. And so God has a right 
to call the shots because he's God. They didn't really have the option to say, well, I don't really like that. I disagree. What happens if you disagree with God? What does that leave you? Like you leaves you wrong, leaves you outside. I mean, if if you disagree, if God is God and He is, and you just well, I don't agree, I don't think that's right. Then you just get to be separated. Is what you get to be, right? For any parent here, you lay down a rule in your home and you say, you know, if you're gonna live in this house, you're gonna do this. If one of your kids starts feeling a little huffy and puffy and says, well, I don't think it's fair, and I disagree, well. <laughs> From the sidewalk, right? All, all disagreeers are free to disagree from the side. You don't get to stay. You don't get to, to, to express your disagreement. You don't, you don't pay yours. It's not yours. Hopefully that's how it works, right? So God is more of an authority than I am as a parent. And God says, look, I, I want it brought to the tabernacle. And so I just want us to catch this because before we go all into the blood and all the sacrifice and all the different things, God is prescribing to the people, I want it done like this. And he has a right to do it because he's God. And God's rules aren't to restrict us. They aren't to hurt us. They're to bless us. God says, I want to keep you close. I want to keep you close to where I'm working. I want you to come to the place where your sacrifice is going to have meaning. Because if you do it alone on your own, I don't acknowledge that. I acknowledge it right here. And so we live in a world right now where most people uh, in this world don't deny that there is a God. Many people do, but not all. What most people do is they decide that, you know, I believe there is a God, but they go ahead and recreate God that suits them. So you can have someone that likes weed. Well, I think God is okay with that. God made the herb. So, you know, they, they, they create a God that's okay. You know, my God, their God doesn't demand that they stop being high. Somebody else, they, they create a God. The God that I serve is a God of love. He would never send anyone to hell. And so there's a whole group of people that have created a God that won't judge you. God will no, 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 God will never tell me no. God will never spank me. God will never do a mean thing. I had a mean dad that beat me really bad and God will never be like that. And so your God don't have any rules and he doesn't discipline his kids. And the problem is that God is not in the Bible. The God of the Bible spanks his kids. You guys know that? You read the Bible. I mean, and his spankings is no joke. When God spanked his kids, it's pretty bad. I mean, it was, it was, they died sometimes. I mean, they, there was, Clint was just talking about the, the, the ground opening up and swallowing people whole, snakes biting people. Like when God spanked his kids, it was pretty severe. So the, the God of the Bible does all those things. And so we want to be careful to never try to make a God that we're comfortable with. We want to submit to the God that does exist, the God, the, the God of the Bible. We want to yield to him, submit to him and conform to his image so that we can be comfortable. When you submit and conform to the God of the Bible, you'll be very comfortable with God. You'll be at peace with the Lord and God will be you. You'll be right with God and God will be you guys will be right with each other as you submit and conform. It's when you resist and don't conform that you find yourself out of alignment in a bad space with the Lord. Thankfully, God has made a way for all of us to get back on track. So should you find yourself in a place where you've been obstinate, you've been defiant, you've been disobedient and you recognize it. Um, God makes a way for all of us to say, you know what, I, I've been fighting God and I'm losing because don't nobody fight God and win. A long time ago, there's an old gospel play that said your, your arms are too short to box with God. You know, like you're not going to get in the ring and give God a go. You're just going to lose every time. So so we want to be smart and not fight God. Just be yielded to the Lord. Amen.
And so again, the, the last part of verse four, he says, um, he told them that you got to bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, offer it to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord. The guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. I want to point this out. The penalty here when it says he shall be cut off from among his people is severe. It doesn't just mean you're cut off like you can't come around. It could mean that. Sometimes what it meant is you're cut off. You got to get away. But you know what it normally, you know what cut off from your people normally meant? You got to die. You're dead. You're cut off at death. You get killed and now you're cut off from among your people. So when we get to chapter 20, we're going to come across about 15 things for which God says death penalty, death penalty, death penalty. I was going through it earlier, just looking at it. Um, you know, the, the things that God says for that, I, I want to cut them off from among my people. I have to always go back and, and consider. I mean, if God said that thing is such a big deal that I, I don't, I want you to die for it so that it doesn't permeate the culture of my people. And when somebody dies for something, I think there's, it's a, it, in and of itself that it, it, it kind of creates, uh, within people, uh, if you were tempted to do it and he just died for it, you're going to think twice at least. You know, if, if I was tempted to offer sacrifice at home, but then, Willie just died for it yesterday. Like, I'm going to go and take this cow to the tabernacle, like the Lord said. You know, it, it has a way of, of bringing correction. So if you live in a household, I grew up in a household where there would be discipline for certain things. And I remember when I was very young and my older brother was in the house. Um, he's 10 years older than me. And so, when you know, we we're four or five years old. 10 years older looks like he looks humongous. And I remember he snuck out as a teenager. And we he, we shared a bedroom, so that's how I remember this. But he had snuck out. My dad came to my room and said, hey, where's your brother? Oh, he's gone. I didn't even know he was gone, but he wasn't there. And I heard my dad's engine start up, and he drove, and my dad came back with him. And there wasn't another room to do it in, so my dad did it in my room. But I remember watching my dad, what he did to him for that. And I remember the next day I told my dad, he still asked me, I said, Dad, what did he do? I'm never going to do that, Dad. I'm never going to run away. I'm never going to sneak out of the house. Like it, the impact it had was like whatever he did, I ain't never doing that ever, never, never. You know, um, and so that's what would happen here. God said, you know, the, the discipline was in His love for all of His people that they would realize, I, I want to keep you guys in, in a place where you, you, I want to keep temptation low for you guys. So uh, now look at verses five through seven. It says, "To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer." In the open field that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statue forever. For them throughout their generations. So this is what was going on. One of the reasons God is saying. I don't want you guys offering sacrifices anywhere else. Is because the children of Israel. Has spent 400 years. In Egypt. And in their time in Egypt. They were around people that worship pagan gods. And so they had seen these things. And they were for whatever reason. They were always tempted away. I don't I don't understand it. But I guess we do the same thing in a different way. The children of Israel. Uh, they had this amazing opportunity in their relationship with the Lord. God was feeding them with manna from heaven. They had a relationship with the living God. But when they would see these pagan nations worshiping gods that they could see, and they had gods that they could build, and they had golden gods and wooden gods 
something about that was intriguing to them and they would find themselves tempted to do so. And so with most of your pagan practices, there would be sacrifices offered. And God says right here, you guys, they will no more offer sacrifices to demons. They were taking what belonged to the Lord and they were offering it somewhere else. And I want you to just think about that for a minute. Like, how's God feel about that? How's God feel about his people that he loves, that he's delivered from bondage in Egypt, that he supplies food and drink supernaturally for, that he loves them with an everlasting love. He's good to them when they're bad to him. How's it feel to God when he looks down from heaven and sees them taking what should be offered to him in sacrifice and they're offering it to, he says, to demons. They're all, they're offering it to false deities, to pagan gods. Um, we know this about God. The Bible says one of the characteristics of God is that he's a jealous God, right? Maybe some of you guys, maybe some of you guys have been in a relationship with somebody jealous before. Maybe you've experienced jealousy before. God's jealousy is a little purer than ours. He's not jealous of you. His jealousy is God's, God's looking at what we're doing and yeah, he wants us for himself. He's, he's, he's jealous, but God realizes that because what you're doing is bad for you. It's not like you being with somebody else is, you know, making him feel bad. God realizes that the person that you're looking to as God is not a God at all. And so he's jealous for you. God wants your love and your affection to be for him only because when you put it towards something else, God knows that whatever you put your love and affection and worship to that's not him is to your own hurt. It's, it's a detriment to you. And so that's one of the reasons God was telling me, you guys bring it here, right? I don't want you tripping and doing it over there. So as I look at this, I think, of what are some ways in our culture that people, do people do this today? Do we, do we sacrifice to demons? Do we worship demons in our culture? Is it possible that we could do such a thing? Maybe not overtly. Maybe you wouldn't, you know, sit down at the table of Satan and conjure up demons and, and, and offer up worship to them. But when I look at demonic realm, what, what they do behind the, behind the scenes and how that many times Christians are brought right in. We're singing their songs. We're laughing at their stuff. We're participating in their foolery. You know, we're, we're spending our, we're, you're spending God's money because if you're a Christian, all the money that you make, you're a steward of God's resources. God blesses you with the ability to make wealth and have a job and whatever you do. And God puts it in your hands as a steward. And when you take the money that he put through your process and you spend it on something that Satan's doing in that sense, right? In that sense, you're taking what should be offered in worship, what could be used in some other kind of way, and you're using it in a way that doesn't glorify the Lord. God is saying here, you guys are taking what belongs to me, and you guys out there back in the fields worshiping demons. He says, there'll be no more of that. Um, there's going to be no more of that. You get caught doing that, you're going to die. You're going to be cut off from among your people if you get caught doing that. So for us, right, it's a little different. We're under grace. You mess up. We don't die on the spot. We don't, um, you know, you don't drop dead. Anybody here that's ever spent God's money wrong, took God's money and, and bought something you shouldn't have bought with it or did something you shouldn't have did with it or found yourself celebrating something you shouldn't be celebrating with it under this, this grace that we're under. Uh, we don't get smashed right away many times. And, and it is, it isn't an immediate thunderbolt. God doesn't just strike us down and deal with us like that. So some people, because nothing happens, Begin to feel like maybe it's okay. Maybe God is okay. Maybe God didn't even seem mad. Matter of fact, I'm still being blessed. The Bible says this, right? It's the what of God that brings us to repentance. It's the goodness. It's the goodness of God. Not the baseball bat. Not the thunderbolt. God's just the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. Sometimes God is just good to us when we're bad to him. 
It ought to just humble us. You know, I ought to just, I ought to look at his goodness to me all the time and it ought to just bring some humility, some brokenness, some thankfulness, uh, realizing that God is just, God's merciful to me, no matter what I'm like. So again, you know, why would they have been doing these things? It looks like after about 400 years in Egypt, um, they, they develop an appetite for the world and they wanted what the, the nations around them had. And throughout Israel's history, it would be a temptation for them to go after what the nations around them had. And so you and I, like them, belong to the Lord. We're in a covenant relationship with the Lord. And God has called us to live in a world that's wicked, that's carnal, that's broken, that doesn't honor him, that doesn't glorify him. And so how do we stay unscathed? Like, how do I walk through this filthy world and not begin to take on its stuff? Not begin to take on its characteristics, its thoughts, life. It's, how do I live in this world and not take that junk on to where my life can still be to the glory, to the worship, to the honor of God? This is what I wrote down in my thing. I said this. The impact of the world on us is less when we set out to impact the world. So the impact that the world has on us is much less when we set out to impact the world. If you're going to follow God, God's called us to have an impact. He called you to be a light in the dark. Light is impacting. He's called you to be salt. Salt impacts, you know, where it goes. God's I'm called you to be salt and light. So if I go and my intention when I'm going through this world is to have an impact, it's less likely to have an impact on me. I went with a vision. I went with a direction. I went to that thing over there with this on my mind. I had this in my back pocket. I was looking to be a witness over here. I was looking to share the gospel there. I was looking for how I might get the conversation moving God's direction. So when you're in the world seeking to have an impact, you're a lot less likely to be impacted by it. But when you just meander through this world aimlessly, not really following the Lord, not really going with any kind of sense of direction, before you know it, you start taking on stuff. Like, that is funny. <laughs> you know, you start looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. And let me let put that in my ear. Let me hear me listen at that. And and there, there you go. World starting to impact you. It's just taking this. It's just coming on. Where'd you get that outfit from? Or what's left of the outfit? You know, this it, it'll start getting on you. So we got to be intentional about our time on this earth. The Bible says that we're to redeem the time for the days are evil. And we're not supposed to just be kind of like, I'm just in the world, just living. Just see what happens from day to day. Um, every Christian, there should be a sense of direction that you have for your life. Um, that's why we are always challenging and encouraging you to spend, spend time in the Word every day. Do the Bible reading. Pray. Ask God to give you vision, direction, instruction for your life so that you're, you're not just kind of meandering purposelessly, but you got a sense of purpose. You're, you're going somewhere. There's a focus. There's a purpose. There's a direction. Um, you're aiming somewhere. I, I, earlier this morning, I took... Um, BJ has a, a little puppy, and it's a little pit bull puppy, and I walked him and Harmony's dog, and as I'm walking through the neighborhood, I felt the puppy, all of a sudden, I'm just, I'm walking straight, but I felt the puppy just pulling this way, and I'm like, I don't see anything initially, so I'm like, stop it, you know, and I, I keep going, and he's just pulling this way, and then I, I get beyond, beyond the car that I'm walking by, and somebody got a little chihuahua that's out. And so I let both my dogs go and attack it. No, I didn't. I didn't do that. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, we were just walking just fine this way until his, his aim got off over here. And the, the leash kept going this way. He had a new sense of direction. He really wanted bad to go over there. While we're trying to walk with the Lord, we got to be careful that we don't get pulled away. That, that while we're walking, that we don't, something doesn't catch your eye over here that just pulls you away. Happens all the time. Somebody be walking with the Lord real strong, just doing pretty good with the Lord, and then and then she calls. 
That, that one from way back in the day. She don't know the Lord yet either, but she calls. And now it's like, well, well, I was, I was lonely. The Lord didn't send nobody in time. So, and there go, there go two years without the Lord. Um, for other people, it could be some opportunity that you didn't take the time to pray about. That's all we have time for today on The Transforming Word. But we're so glad you joined us for today's teaching on Pastor Bill. As we continue learning from the book of Leviticus together, our prayer is that you begin to understand where you come from. Knowing your roots is so important to understanding your faith and the heart of God. You may think all the rules within the Bible are outdated or just plain don't make sense, but they were there for a reason. They weren't there to punish, but rather to guide. And who doesn't need a little guidance from time to time? We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Leviticus and encourage you to read on on your own. If you're interested in hearing additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you'll find them on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. If you live in or near the Inglewood area, we'd love to meet you and invite you to join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at CalvaryInglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person, and you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is CalvaryInglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and possibly hearing about Jesus for the first time? Please pray that their hearts will be open to the truth that changes lives. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us on A Transforming Word.